0: Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, it's the Freight 360 Podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross
1: and Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight.
0: All right, welcome back for episode 135 of the Freight 360 Podcast. I am delighted to be at my parents' condo in Fort Pierce, Florida this week. Recording so I'm gonna have to come down. I'm gonna come down and uh, get together with you and record next week's so Good stuff man getting out of the, getting out of the Northeast as uh, As Buffalo transitions from winter to spring. It's just like the yucky time of year up there So it's good to get a change of scenery so much more pleasant. Oh, yeah. Did you get day. to the beach yesterday. What's that? Did you get to the
1: beach yesterday you get to the beach oh, yesterday
0: um Yes, but not really. So we just um, when I was done working, we went to um, Hutchinson Island and went to grab food with my kids. But it was super windy. So like it was just miserable Mm -hmm. being out there. Like we walked out to the ocean and then we ended up going up by like the inlet in Fort Pierce to uh, a place called uh, the Manatee Island Bar and Grill or whatever. They have like live music and, you know, there's a bunch of kids dancing around to the guy playing guitar. So it was good. And the kids were all tired and no, went, awesome. went to sleep nice and good last night. So, it was good, man. It was good. What's uh, what's cracking? I guess an hour and or two hours just down south, the coast where you are.
1: Uh, not much. I took. Uh, we went to the beach over the weekend. Took Ava there Sunday. I actually, met a couple of my buddies I used to work with at TQL. We're down. Brought their kids to the beach. Nice. That's pretty much it. Good. Stuff. I go to the beach a couple times a week, go to the pool.
0: I will say the the friendships, For the same reason. The friendships that you make in and freight, they even when you if you switch companies, they last. Like when I get together with a bunch of the guys I used to work with at the last company I was with, we still talk shop all the time. Like we have fun, but we're always still we're always talking freight, man, you know what I mean? It's it's what we do. Yeah. So good stuff though good stuff so give us a um well first of all hey if you're brand new here welcome to freight 360 glad you're with us leave that review on itunes and spotify wherever you're listening to your great podcast share us with your friends we're growing and growing and growing and we love it um give us a little bit get us up to speed on what's going on in the world and we got some sports update here too what's going on
1: Yes, I mean, obviously some big updates in Ukraine, um, human rights, and just the atrocities that have come out of Bucha. you know, as the Russian soldiers are pulling out. It's incomprehensible. Um, but on some takeaways and some things that I've read, even this morning and yesterday, I mean, obviously Ukraine is huge in wheat production, sunflower seeds, sunflower oil, um, but, and I didn't realize this, but there's two really huge impacts. One, a lot of the Middle Eastern countries get, like, all of their grain from Ukraine or Russia. So the embargo is actually really driving up food prices because the reality was there are lots of stockpiles of these things. So what is the embargo, these countries. I didn't
0: see the official declaration on Well, not
1: necessarily the embargo. Im- But the sanctions, right, that they're preventing a lot of countries from being able to get grain and things where they typically buy them. I think Egypt gets like 60 percent of their grain, they had said, from Ukraine and like another good portion of it from Russia that they can't get right now. Um, But the other really interesting takeaway, because we talked a little bit about that last week, is that Russia is like, I think, the number one supplier in the globe for fertilizer. So what you have is you have this you have two you have two big issues because the main reason why prices food prices usually come down is when they go up what do you think happens lots of farmers plant more of it because the price makes sense and then that drives prices down well what's happening since they can't do that, they can't do it because normally they get their fertilizer from Russia, which they can't get. So the, the crop yields are also going down as pricing is going up and farmers can't really grow the same yields because of how much fertilizer is needed around the world. Um, one of the biggest countries that we're talking about was Brazil. Well, why does all this matter? What does it matter to freight in the United States? What does it matter to your day job, right? Well, when you see entire global markets disrupted, changed, shift, right? that's gonna have an impact on our domestic market because some portion of it was coming from these other countries, or even if it wasn't, um, other people that used to get it from there are gonna be trying to buy it from other places, i.e. the United States, right? So, and one of these reasons why this is also a hot commodity to go after, to prospect, to look at moving is because it's like a must have for the people that need it. It's feed for animals, feed for farms, Feed for humans, right? Like there's this saying, right? Like if you're hungry, you don't have any other problems, right? And that's one of the things that like you have to pay for. I mean, regardless, you don't have a choice. If you've got a farm and you don't have the feed for your animals, you will pay whatever it costs because the loss is way greater than what it's ever going to cost you in shipping. You don't necessarily care how profitable you are. You care that you don't lose half of your livelihood or a significant portion because they can't eat, right? Those are the things you're looking for when you're prospecting. These are the things that matter, and these are the things that are likely gonna create opportunities in our market.
0: Yeah, so the the macro level that you look at there, like you said, why does it matter to my day job? This, it, this is essentially what we saw with the shutdowns two years ago, right? Obviously a different situation and on a different <laughs> scale, but there's a trickle down effect, and it all it's eventually gonna all lead to an impact on the availability of goods, and then the cost to get those goods, the supply-demand curve is applicable in any situation, at any time, in any location. So that's, uh, you, you brought up too, you know, um, when the cost of goods go up, farmers are gonna wanna produce more, right? The same thing we've seen apply in um, domestic oil production, right? So um, when the cost of a barrel of oil would go up, you know, go back a year or whatnot, they want to drill, drill, drill because their profits are going to go up, right? And that's what leads to opportunities in uh, if you do any kind of open deck um, shipping or brokerage with oil. And we're going to talk about project freight today, which is great because we'll talk about that situation, that that as an example. But you know, you got to get pipe there. You've got to get generators there. You've got to get tubing and you know all kinds of widgets there to make this happen. Crane mats, right? And these these things are all because of the macro effect uh, or the macro impact of um, prices um, being you know being increased so good stuff
1: and here's an interesting right a, a, a tie-in right that's what normally happens in the freight market right normally that's why it's cyclical and that's why it shifts between loose and tight within a you know usually a handful of months not staying tight for years like what happened in the pandemic and it's for a very simple reason. As the rates went up, right, just think about this. If your average truck driver was making $85,000 a year pre-pandemic. Now, when the rates started to go up, let's say some of them were making 120 to 150, right? Depending on what you're doing, just for example, right? Normally, more people leave their jobs, blue collar jobs, construction, warehouse workers and go drive trucks because you could literally double your take home or you make the same amount of money and you only work five, six months a year. Lots of drivers that do that. They make, you know, and then they take the summer off or what have you. Well, why that didn't happen during the pandemic was because the people that wanted to enter the market, to your point, couldn't buy a truck. Couldn't get the physical thing that you needed to go and enter the market. So, what you had is this raising climate, but they couldn't really get more a supply of the drivers because the same thing was happening with the truck manufacturers. And it's still happening to this day. It's like, there's a lag on computer chips. Yep. When everybody went and bought new laptops and everything to work from home, there was a finite yeah, what supply they, of those. Is it like the transistor in the chip
0: or something like that they're saying is that it's the Chinese? It three is. Three there's, three there's,
1: there's something, and I, I don't want to misspeak, but it was like a massive portion of all of these things that go into everything, yeah. right? Like a smart toothbrush to like, and I think the number was like a modern vehicle now has something like sixty of these in it, right? There's a little one on your brake system, there's one in your AC, there's one that runs your lights. They're, they're just literally all through your car now. Well, they're all made, and I think it was in—I want to say it was Taiwan. Yeah, Taiwan. I think manufactured you're right, yeah. like like 75 or 80% of like these around the world. And the problem was when you had the shipping issue, like we just couldn't get them. And then companies, when they didn't know they were going to need them, they canceled their orders. They said, well, we're not going to sell anything. Everybody's going home. Well, then everybody start to buy things. Well, they got out of line at that, at that vendor. They said, Hey, cancel my order for the spring when the pandemic started. Well, when they canceled it, Another company went right in and grabbed that. They went, oh, well, we'll take it. So when they went back a month later and said, hey, we now want those, they go, well, you got to wait in line. Now we can't get them free for eight, nine months. And that was really happening with everything, products all around the world. And that was why you had this glut where like you just couldn't find things. Yeah, That drives prices up. That also contributes to inflation, right? Yep. Why we're in the position we're in. That's
0: that's your uh, macroeconomic lesson for today and um, and a little news, world news update for you. So um, let's shift to sports. I wanna, I'll start off here. Um, Opening day for the majority of Major League Baseball, if not all of it is April 7th, which is tomorrow we record on Wednesdays typically. So um, we're ahead of it. The Red Sox actually already, they already postponed it. It's against the Yankees. So they're playing Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, In New York, I'm looking forward to that. It's a good rivalry for anyone that likes to watch baseball. Um,
1: uh, Let's see. On um, golf. Masters week. Yeah. Masters week. Tiger's been practicing. Yeah. I mean, all reports seem that, I mean, he is going to play. Pretty likely, anyway. So, the only reason he's not going to play, and I think he can literally announce up to, like, 10 minutes before his tee time.
0: Oh, is that really what it is?
1: Wow. I mean. Yeah, he doesn't need to have, like, notice or whatever. So, he's literally, I mean, everybody thinks he's going to play. Whether he'll finish, how his leg holds up, whether he's going to be able to walk that much, I think, is the big concern. But it's just really cool, I think, to yeah. see him, you know, come from that type of injury to show how up. How long has it been? About there. a year and it's a half? Just, yeah, no, it's, it's like, a, like almost right on a year. Okay. It wasn't even, like, a full year, I don't think. Like, okay. real close to it.
0: Wow, that's impressive, man. I mean, that, that, that yeah. kind of... Um, ability to bounce back like that and recover enough, even if he's, you know, he's not at the same level, but to be able to get out there and play in the Masters, like play in a tournament like that is, it's a remarkable amount of, uh, you know, bounce back there. So good for him. I know the betting sites are all like, hey, he's plus 800 to finish top five. Uh, He's like plus 110 to finish top 20. So all the betters out there are looking at it and you don't even know he's gonna play or not. But I think the cool thing is, The whole golf community is gonna is gonna be all all eyes on this, and you know I know that I'll be keeping tabs on it, especially if he's in the in the running. You don't expect him to go the you know to go the full send on it, but just to see him compete and to play again is it's awesome. So.
1: Yeah, it's also nostalgic. I don't know. I grew up watching him play, so just him being out there makes me a little bit more excited. I'm always excited for Masters yeah. Week, though. So. I
0: remember seeing him on a Wheaties box when I was a kid, man, and I was like, who is this This young golfer t- named Tiger? But now he's a household name, uh-huh. so good stuff, good stuff. All right, well, let's give, give a shout out to our friends over at DAT Freight and Analytics before we hop into the episode today.
1: Taking the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT Load Board Network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners, and you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. And with the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out the show notes for a free month of Power Express or Trucker's Edge.
0: Absolutely. So today we're going to talk about Project Freight. So I want—I think it's a good place to start with, just kind of talking about what is Project Freight and what makes it different than our traditional, um, you know, our traditional lanes that we're running for customers. So yep. think of a, when you think of Project Freight, think of um, multiple loads that are being moved in support of some sort of big event or big project. So. The, the examples that I can give you, um, think about a construction site, right? They're getting ready to build a bridge or they're getting ready to build a um, commercial building, whatever it is, or they're getting ready to do something that involves a lot of equipment and um, commodities being used, right? That's, that's one example of a project. Um, think about, I talked about it earlier on, is the oil fields, right? Let's say a a drilling company is gonna go set up a new drilling location. Well, they need to get all of their equipment there, all their tubes, all their pipes, crane mats, generators, all the other little things that they need to sustain, not just the operation, but the human living element that's there. Think about things like, um, and you probably won't be dealing with this as a freight broker, but like, porter potties right, and mobile Um, shower sets if they've got them, things like that, right? Because a lot of times the location of these oil drilling sites, it's not an address on a road, it's literally GPS coordinates. And you're just driving out dirt there. So Mm -hmm. those are a couple examples. I think,
1: Um, yeah, I mean, some some of the ones that I've done, yeah, like I've done uh, steel off brake bolt ships. So what that means is like, they would literally load steel pipe onto the deck of the ship. Um, I did it for Gerdal steel um, and I worked with the Brazil customer. So they would bring them in into the New Orleans port and we were in charge and tasked with every single load that came off that ship, right? We dealt with the stevedores. We dealt with the loading of it. We coordinated the BOLs. In that case, we we worked directly with the, um, the forwarder that was bringing them in to create the BOLs together, but we were tasked with making sure every driver had the right one. So matching up the POs, right? Making sure those are all correct. And then what we were doing was we're shipping them up to the various steel mills all up around the Michigan, Ohio area. So there was roughly half a dozen places it would go to, but primarily all the same lane, going right up out of Louisiana, straight up the middle of the country, and then diverted to the steel mills. And we would roughly run, I'd say between five and seven loads a day, five days a week for about 45 days. Every time a ship came in, that was the project. And we yep. would do one like, usually they would be gapped by about a month. Um, Some other ones, we've done projects for cotton um, out of the cotton fields in Texas. We've done projects right to your point in West Texas, running pipe and stringing pipes out for new rigs or building the pipelines. Um, Trade shows. The main thing,
0: trade
1: trade shows, trade shows, concerts are another big one. um, And there are lots of different things and lots of different customers that are associated with that right now what are some of the criteria and things to understand is you're shipping down one lane a lot of times, um, or at the very least you're putting usually a lot of trucks down the same shipping lane. That's different than a lot of different lanes. And we'll talk about that. Some other things are usually when you got a project, like you have a very large cost to that not being there on time. Yeah. If it's a concert, you don't get it there. It's literally useless. Yep. If it's a trade show, it happens that day, whether your truck gets there or not. If it's a construction site, there's a crane sitting there at whatever, a thousand bucks an hour or whatever that bill is, it's much larger than your margin. And that guy driving that crane's hourly rate is super high too. So when the stuff is not there to keep him moving, there's a very large cost to the customer, right? Well,
0: they're not pumping and they're not making money if it's stuff's not there. So I, yep. I think the the big thing here is, yes, we are freight brokers, um, but I often use the term logistician to give a, a, a more broad Sense and scope of the work that we do, and there's a project management or project manager piece to that. And when you're working on Project Freight, you're not just responsible of getting a, you know, a, a a cost affordable truck to do one pick, one drop, and then on to the next one. You are involved in this process extremely heavily. There's I've had folks that would be on site at the job site when all of the trucks were coming in that day or that week because they want they wanted to make sure they can co- coordinate. Hey, I've got all my document numbers. I got the correct uh, tractor trailer number for this guy has this shipment, and this girl has that shipment. Um, depending on how intricate it can be, you may be on site for this. I had a um, had an agency in Toronto in the Toronto, Canada area years ago that they did um, in, they did all the preparation and transportation for windmill installations. So they would have these extremely large, like hundred plus feet long special open deck trailers that would move the blades and for the turbine and the uh, all the poles that actually go up uh and it was a it was a really cool thing to see and like the videos that they would make of promotional stuff because that was their niche uh, and just the pictures of the equipment but they were on site physically they always had their operations team back at you know the home office doing or the, their home uh, headquarters doing everything on the computers and um, dispatch-wise, but they had someone on site at all times to make sure that their promise that they made was being followed through on. Um, So some of the things I I think are important to point out here is um, the, so for example, let's say we'll pick a moderate size project, not too big, not too small, but let's say you've got um, 25 trucks that have to get from point A to point B, all right? You're typically going to give a proposal or a quote to your customer all in okay and that's going to include things like um, line haul permits um, and anything else involved in there okay it could be ppe that's needed or if the drivers have to rent certain whatever they need special equipment they don't normally have on their on their trucks you're going to give an all-in quote and you can itemize that line by line to show your customer why why is my quote x amount of dollars and where does that spread across so you you know you might have you know 80% of it's in line haul and 20% in permits or you you know or some mix of anything else in there but you can give that price all in and now what you have to make sure you do if you're awarded that project you got to make sure that you can stay under budget cuz your profit is built into that right your customer is not mm-hmm. going to see profit as a line item on there obviously but Let's say you get to a point where you're like, I underquoted and I gotta deliver on this, you could end up losing money on a project. So, having that project manager mindset and thinking long term and everything that's all involved into it, it's a good reason to not hop into this if you have very little experience. And it's also a great reason to have somebody in your corner that has done this before that you can rely on and bounce ideas off of for some kind of feedback.
1: So So let's talk a little bit about how we win it, how we prospect it, and then how we price it, right? So one, I don't wanna say like, I tend to ask just about any customer I'm working with if they ever work on projects. It really doesn't matter what it is because you've seen, I've seen projects in almost every industry. In fact, I had a project that was in retail once. And what it was, was they had a bunch of containers coming in and they were doing a big like pop-up store and I forget what, I think it was like Ohio. So it was like a Victoria's Secret store. They want all the inventory. They were going to pop this store up. It was going to be open for like whatever, two months. And then they were shutting it all down. So everything had to be there at a certain time. So you would be surprised and it's better and off right not there soon.
0: I gotta, before I forget this example, um, Halloween, all of those, so Spencer's like the, the- Spirit,
1: Spirit Halloween.
0: So Spirit Halloween, I believe is part of Spencer's, whatever it is, right? They do that same thing mm-hmm. every year for Halloween for a couple months. Anyway, yep. and, I, and I've personally dealt with that kind of stuff before, but back to what you are saying.
1: Yeah, it's also, so ask, if you've got a customer prospect, it doesn't hurt to ask that question. Hey, do you guys have any projects on the agenda this year? Do you guys ever do any types of project freight, right? Always asking that. You would be surprised at how many will tell you, yeah, we've got a big customer coming up or yeah, we only do this this period of the year. Now, once you've got it, right, that's the first step what Nate was referencing is. We need the details. What are we looking to get there? And the time frame really matters a lot. So, if it's 25 loads for a project or 50, how many days do you have to get it there is one of the most important things you need to know. And why is that important? Because we're gonna talk a little bit about pricing in here, is when you send multiple trucks down a lane, the pricing will change throughout that day. And I'll give you an example. You don't always see it shift that much in high volume lanes. So like LA to Chicago, there's so many trucks that run it, like probably wouldn't be that much of an issue to send 10 trucks down that lane a day, but in normal lanes or smaller lanes, if you were gonna to try to book 10 full trucks, right, to go from, and I'll use mine, from like New Orleans to we'll say, um, I don't know, like uh, Detroit. Okay, that's not that busy of a lane. So if you're committing to get, we'll say six trucks a day, and let's say, you know, the normal rate on that is $3,000. Well, every time you book a truck, there's one less truck to book. That means there's literally, you're literally competing against yourself. So as you book your fourth, fifth, or sixth truck in a day, definitely by your seventh or eighth, you will start paying more money because there's not that many to begin with. And as you book them, there are less, you're literally competing with yourself. So you need an overage in there because your first truck, you might pay three grand. By the time you're on your seventh, you might be at 3,500. Now that causes issues, but it also gives you some advantage, right? So why does that matter? The first thing is, go ahead. I was gonna were say, gonna
0: say? Um, this is why people that are good at project freight, they do this way, way in advance. So you talked about timeline. We we always use a thing in the army called backwards planning where you know that, hey, the ex- execution time or the, you know, the by this date and time we have to have this accomplished. Well, in order to plan that out properly, start with that as your finish line and then plan backwards. All right, I've gotta get, if everything has to be there by Friday, I got to make sure that um, everything is delivered. Let's let's try for Thursday afternoon, so they can get it properly unloaded to be used on Friday morning. All right. So now I've got how many days of transit, and then how many trucks can they take at once into their receiving? Right. You've got a backwards plan yes. to get your trucks lined up. Now, if you can go to a carrier and give them pre-planned, um, you know, guaranteed miles for, let's say, a two-week period or for a full week period for their fleet that's gonna help you get more consistent pricing versus just trying to get, let's say for 25 trucks, right? Instead of 25 different carriers, maybe you can get two or three to commit X amount of trucks each to fulfill that 25. And that's gonna give you stability
1: in your pricing. Ding, ding, ding. That's how I quoted it, right? And that's how most people that run Project Freight quoted. So let's say this is starting in May, right? Um, We don't know the rates in May, but we know what the work is. So what we do is we would post these up every day And that's exactly the conversation because you will start to get carriers that literally are domiciled on one side or the other that have customers on the other end. So I post up both sides of the lane and every day when we field calls, it's, hey, to be honest, the load's not gonna be going today. We've got a project starting in six weeks. Does this lane work for you? Would you want it? Would you be able to run a few of these a week? If we could give you one of these a day and you will start hearing dispatchers and go, well, yeah, I send three guys down there every Tuesday. I'd love three back up there. You will build in your capacity before the project starts. And the upside for the brokerage is you usually get a lot of repeat carriers. Oh yeah. If and only if you do this piece right. And the piece is you've got to leverage the urgency and the importance of this to get the right money. So how do you win it, right? Now that we know we need that piece, right, with the carrier side to get the rates, how do we get them to pay what we actually need so we can pay them enough to make sure this works and we get paid for our time? Well, my first objective is, I always wanna be the only broker in this product project. I don't want anybody else competing with me because one, it is first very difficult to coordinate pieces of a project when you've got another broker running it and you don't know what's going on. Yep. Um, Two, the next reason is you don't want somebody else competing for your same trucks with a different bid. This is really common in military project freight. When they run troop movements from one base to another, where they've got 150 trucks that need to move over seven days, what happens is, is let's say you bid three grand and let's say the next broker bids 28 and let's say the next broker bids 3,800. And let's say you all win it and you're all supposed to book three trucks a day. The guy with the most money usually gets his trucks covered first thing in the day. Yep. And the problem is if he doesn't or he gets a fallout, usually he's posting his loads up for more than you have in it, more than your pay rate plus your margin. So basically you have your hands tied, can't book a truck until this guy books all his trucks every day. You're left with the leftovers if you can even get them. So one, if you don't have all control, like I usually don't even want them. And that's what I'm telling my prospect. I'm saying, hey, this project looks great. This is where I think we can be rate wise but the first questions i'm going to start asking are the same things we talk about normal prospecting hey What happens if this load doesn't get there? Tell me about what's on the receiving end. How quickly can they take them? What happens if they don't get it there? What happens on the shipping end? Because if they don't get out and the next loads are coming in, how much space do they have there, right? Usually they're operating at pretty close to capacity during these projects because it's a peak in their volume. So they don't have usually a lot of space on either end for them to be late on the pickup or late or early on the delivery. Yep. And when you get them to tell you that and you ask, and we'll talk more about this, like consequence questions, what happens if it doesn't get there? What's your customer gonna say? What happens to the steel mill if they don't get it? What happens to the line of pipe if we don't get it out here? When they start telling you, oh, we could lose this project next time, we could lose hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? That's when I'm using them, when they tell me that problem or those, those issues that could occur, I'm giving them the solution. And the solution is to use me and only me. And why I'm asking them to do it is because when I have more control, I can give them full transparency into the entire project at any point in time. I can guarantee them that I'm getting trucks. If you give me the right money, I will get you the truck, right? And that's how you really leverage the situation to get paid for your work, right? To get the right money in this project before you start.
0: Yep, so I think a big takeaway on all this is the same principles of our our basic one load freight brokerage operation, those same principles apply to project moves, but there's a lot more detail and intricacy that goes into it. So um, I want to give you an example of what can go wrong and how it can get very, very messy if you fail to handle an issue properly. Because we know problems are going to happen, right? Trucks could fall off, trucks could be delayed. Um, And we've talked about in other content, we're not going to beat a dead horse here, but communication and how you react to that speaks volume over the actual issue happening. So let's say you are, um, you know, you're supposed to have stuff delivered into a certain location by, I don't know, Monday, right? And what is also happening that maybe you're not aware of because you didn't ask the right questions is that on Monday, they have rented a crane, a bunch of contractors and yada, yada, yada to support the offloading and assembly or whatever of that stuff that you have getting delivered, right? Now your truck, maybe you have a truck or two that are delayed, and the carrier gives you whatever excuse or reason, and you're like, all right, well, you don't you don't tell the customer, and you're like, okay, well let's just try to get them there as fast as possible. Well, next thing you know, the truck gets there late. Maybe it's three hours late. Okay, maybe it's the next morning, and then your customer's like, well, dude, I'm paying twenty five hundred dollars a day to have this crane rental here, to have these contractors here with special forklifts, to have you name it, right? I've seen all this happen before and a lot of times the broker ends up eating that, right? They're gonna, maybe they share in part of it, right? But at the end of the day, you failed to update your customer properly because they could have, had they known in in advance, they could have canceled that contractor for the day or got the that rental a day later.
1: And here's some of the nuance, right? Some of like, I don't wanna say high level, but it's like what it's like when you're really running this. That's why you need full communication into both sides as well, everybody. You are literally communicating with everyone and coordinating all of it, right? So to your point, right, what really happens is, like for instance, the ones that I was running out, just the ones that I'm thinking about in New Orleans, five a day. Well, some days to your point, in the end of the day, the guy just gets held up at his last delivery and can't make it there, right? So what you're doing then is you're calling and that's exactly what we do. We'd call and be like, hey, last truck's getting held up you know what, we're gonna call it a day at four loads today, we're gonna to have him load tomorrow morning, and then what we do is when we communicate that, they let their staff go. They go, hey, we're gonna call it a day at three thirty, four o'clock. So they don't pay that extra two or three hours. They send everybody home, they start a little earlier the next day, and you are in charge of managing that. So that's how you're adding value even when you're running it, and that's why Again, how you're able to sell it to the prospect to give it all to you in the first place. These are the things I'm bringing up. Look, some of the benefits are if I'm running all of it, I can run this efficiently to the point where like, I can literally let you know when you can send your guys home, are they being paid hourly? Are they third party? Do these people work for you? These are all the questions you wanna ask because this, these are a lot of different ways you can add value, right? Because yeah. you're not gonna get exactly five trucks a day. Some days you might get three, the next day you might get seven, then you've gotta get four, then six, then five. like. It never really runs that way because again, we don't own the trucks. You'll get better at it as weeks go on, but like these are the things that you're doing to also shit save your prospect money in the process, right? Absolutely. And these are the things that you wanna be talking about long before the project is awarded, right? These are the things you're talking about in the beginning. Hey, your project's starting in June. Tell me a little bit about how you load this. How's it receiving? Who are you coordinating? Who are you hiring? Are they hourly? Do they work for you, right? This will all help you manage this more effectively.
0: Yep, and that these are the things that will show your true value add as a freight broker and separate you, and I say this all the time, but separate you from the next Joe Schmo inexperienced guy that's just out there, hey, I got trucks, right? You actually can show your value. There's one other big thing I wanted to bring up here too before we, um, before we wrap up the, the topic here, but the contract process for a lot of project freight uh, it's gonna be similar to a lot of these really, really big shipping companies where the contracts are very, very intricate. I have seen uh, project contracts that have been redlined left and right in order to make them work properly. And we talked about this with some folks yesterday actually, is don't be afraid to redline a contract, right? Don't be afraid, just because you're like, oh, I got, I got awarded this business, they're gonna think I'm an idiot for sending back a redline contract don't feel that way, right? You're, you're showing your true value and presenting the things that you find as a red flag. So for example, um, certain insurance requirements or waivers of subrogation or liability clauses in there. Uh, like I've seen a contract for a construction project that said that the broker, as a broker, we were, we were guaranteeing that everyone on site, including workers that had nothing to do with truck driving, that they would all wear hard hats and um, steel toe boots and it's like we have no control over that like we no can't agree to that so there's there's things that you need to, you need to really really read this stuff so
1: they are and those I- are things right and and so that made me think of two other things. One, like, why does that really matter? Why do you need to ask this? Because guess what? Like, We're pulling our trucks in a lot of cases from the open market, right? So it really does matter if they're gonna require steel-toed boots and they're gonna require PPE and e and some of these things. Guess what? Not every truck that calls you and wants this load is gonna have those things, right? And that's just gonna make it a little bit harder to cover them, right? Which means you're gonna need a little bit more money. So every one of these things that you need to enforce is also giving you leverage that you need a little bit more money to do this right. And yep. that's always the key, right? When you are asking for that is, look, I can probably get this done at, you know, 3500 a truck, but the reality is is we're going to have a ton of issues and you'll likely spend a lot in labor related to those issues but if I get some more reliable carriers and I can get this up to like 37 a truck, now all of a sudden we can run this really smoothly, I can get you clean communication and we can convey what we need when we need it directly to the people on both ends, right? Now you're giving them a case on why it's worth it for them to pay that, right? Like what they're getting for it. It's not just, here's my number, let me know where I fall in it, right? If you are not giving them, again, to Nate's point, this is what we talk about in all prospecting, a rate without context isn't, it's useless, right? Sending a number doesn't mean anything. You've got to have the conversation and tie in your number to what you're providing. Yep. And the last thing that I wanted to bring up to what you just mentioned is they're also usually invoiced differently. They're usually paid upon completion, not like weekly. You don't invoice them the same way. So it's pretty common for these projects to be paid long after they're done. So you might be running a project that's two months long, they might not pay any of that bill until you've completed the two months of it. And that's something you need to take into consideration when you're even bidding this and how you're structured and the ability to be able to fund that.
0: I will tell you, I have seen customers that have been willing to work with the brokerage on that part and say, hey, um, we'll pay you X amount upfront, we'll pay you X amount this portion or this far through the project and the remaining balance we will pay you upon completion of it. so there, again, there's flexibility. These are human beings that we're working with here, and you know they're they're rational to an extent. Some you don't have a choice, but others you may have the ability to to work things out. So, good talk on project fray project management. Um, it is officially Q two in 2022 and our friends over at lean solutions group we're doing uh, this quarter our main focus on a lot of our content with them is going to be on the labor shortage we've all been feeling it the great resignation right you might be having a tough time hiring folks in your brokerage whether it's the back office or operations folks doing track and trace or carrier sales maybe some account managers uh, so one of the one of the big things we'll be talking about this quarter is the labor shortage and what you can do to combat that. You know, it's not always um, a co- compensation package that somebody wants. It could be flexibility. It could be um, they, they want to be able to work from home a couple days a week or they might. You know, it, it could be a variety of things like benefits, right, just or a culture or work environment. So it's not always about that. That just that monetary salary or commission structure. But anyway, if you are looking to add folks and you're having a tough time due to the labor shortage, check out Lean Solutions Group at leangroup.com. Lean Staffing is one of their divisions that is well known for the nearshore staffing model at getting folks to assist your brokerage in your work. They're already trained up in transportation. They're managed by a manager on site in their offices in Columbia, South America. And um, we have a lot of experience with them personally. We drink the kool aid We don't just preach it without actually executing on it. So check them out at leangroup.com. Okay, we've got a few questions here today. And uh, a lot of the questions that came in through our website this week were we've, they were kind of repeat. We had a lot of like, hey, what I'm just I'm brand new. How do I get started? Um, or you know how to prospect? There's a lot of content out there. We didn't want to repeat answers, but we got some, I went to the good old Reddit for these questions, and th- that's always one of my go-tos if, uh, if I wanna mix things up. This is, there's some funny stuff in there, because people ask candid questions. So the first question is from someone who's three days on the job as a new freight broker and said, how long will I be in telemarketing purgatory before I can close my first customer? And I laughed, because I was like, it's just the way they put it, telemarketing purgatory. Um, you're just getting started, I'll tell you that much. Uh, you know, weird. people that have have turned turned the corner in their first couple weeks and it's it's impressive, but it's not it is not normal. Um, I always tell people expectation management wise, three to six months, you're going to be slamming the phones. And guess what? It doesn't stop once you get your book of business built up. You still will always have time dedicated to prospecting. Yes, it'll be less time and you'll be more efficient at it. You'll be better at it. Um, but expect to be dialing the phones for hours and hours and hours a day, almost every single day for those first three to six months until you can start to get those customers in your pipeline and convert it out as actually profitable customers. What have you seen average timeline wise before you're like, okay, I'm not just cold calling every minute of every day.
1: Some never so make it, they, much up, they just don't succeed and they quit or get up Yeah, fired. I'd say it's like three, I'd say it's the three to six month mark. I mean, you should start seeing some success and by success, I will give you a specific definition. Success as in people sending you some loads to quote, you'll start getting some emails, you'll start getting set up or start having some good conversations, I'd say within about six weeks. Probably close your first customer that'll give you a load here and there within two to three months, um, but again, your first three to six, I'd say 80% of your time should be on the phone or doing outreach. Some type of outreach, maybe a mix of emails as well as you know phone calls, mixing that up, but you should be doing that 80% of your time. Honestly, for your first, I'd say, uh, two to three quarters of the first year.
0: (laughs) I wanna add some encouragement there because that could be a little discouraging, like, man, I'm gonna spend six weeks on average just calling for no reason. It's not for no reason. Here's some big things that you're doing in that time. You're learning the industry, okay? You're working on your presentation of how you're gonna approach your cold calls. Because the way that you talk on the phone and the the message that you deliver to prospects on the other end of the phone is gonna be different and unique to you compared to whoever else is in your office or some other broker at another organization or company. So you're honing in on your sales skills, your presentation skills, you're learning the industry, you're starting to learn what lanes are like what and, um, where people are having issues, what kind of issues that they are having, you're not moving freight necessarily yet, you're not making money yet, but you are learning a lot of valuable things that will assist you in that down the road. So that's my little bit of encouragement on
1: it. Here's the other piece. like. Find what excites you within prospecting. Like, I don't know. It's really hard to convey this. I mean, we put that video out on prospecting with a purpose, but like you should be learning about the people you're prospecting, learning about the companies too, right? Not just the industry and getting excited about it. Like this is real opportunity. That's what you're calling. You're calling to see like, I always picture prospecting as like the old guy in the mountain, like literally like the 49er back in the 1850s, like digging for gold. That's what you're doing. like. And if you get excited about that, right? Like it definitely helps with the feeling of purgatory because there should be some, like you're really chasing money, right? Like you're chasing yep. opportunity, you're chasing financial freedom, right? Remind yourself of those things, right? Cause it's easy to get lost in the minutia of just getting beat up on the phone all day when you start.
0: Absolutely. Alright next question is about email campaigns. Are email campaigns effective for prospecting? Uh, Short answer no. Detailed answer email is a good secondary or supplementary form of communication in addition to the old school cold calling. Um, Email campaigns typically get deleted. They get caught up in spam. You're not going to have a very personalized message if that's all you're doing, because you're, you're trying to blast it out to a bunch of people and you can't be specific and customized when you do it that way. What do you think?
1: Yeah, the only thing I'd add is, in fact, I did this with a client this week. I still, to this day, send them out individually. The only time I will send a group of emails is if they're categorically together, right? Like sure. if, I'm sent, if I've got 45 prospects that ship steel pipe out of Houston, I'll send that out because it's specific enough to each of them, but it works. You should yeah, never you be sending emails to just across the board. They just don't mean anything. They're too general for anybody to read or care about.
0: You can you can um, cast a wide net with carriers this way. Like maybe you've got 20 carriers that you wanna present a, um, a project to, right? And you, hey, here's the lanes that I have, here's the times or the dates for them, um, equipment required, etc. And send them out to the 20 carriers that you think best match that from your your carrier base—that's not bad, um, but for customers, cold outreach—I don't—I don't like it very much. Um, no. All right. Last question. Actually, we're going to add a fourth question in today because I just remembered one we had that uh, is good. Um, all right. What is the best compensation package—base plus commission? Um, the the best one is whatever you prefer. I mean, because some people want all base because they're not a very risk—you know—not a big risk taker, not willing to bet on themselves. Some people want straight commission because they want to go all in and they, they believe in their abilities. Some want something in the middle. I'll tell you a I'll tell you what I have seen as an average W-2 starting compensation package. 35 to 40 grand base and um, commission, let's say somewhere between 15 to 25% of your gross profit, typically given on a draw, which means until you start earning that, you have to be paying, until you start exceeding that, you're, a, you're 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 a, what's the word i'm looking for you're accruing a almost a debt to the company you're up you you're are. accruing a, a negative commission or draw balance which has to be paid back to the company before you start seeing it so did you were you on a draw in your w2 days
1: no we had no. it was I, base I know plus the commission structure
0: there had changed so many times for folks i've talked it to did. but i've seen some people that had draw some that didn't So.
1: Yes, I worked with some people that still had draws even when I started. Um, I would say the best commission package is to start with questions and to find out what's important to the person. So if you're the owner of a company asking this, you wanna ask questions to find out what's important to the person you're hiring or interviewing and vice versa, because you're right. Some people like need the base. Some people don't and don't want it, right? It really is a case by case. I'd say average is a little higher now. I'd say it's probably 40 to 50 grand and right in that number, 15 to 25% um, commission on GP. Run as yep. a draw where you pay it back. Once you've paid it back, then you start accruing you know, yep. real commission. Um,
0: agents, I would say you'll find average 50 to 70% based on the company and what they're offering you. Um, if you're looking for a new home as an agent, come uh, come chat with me about Pierce Worldwide. We've got a really good program. Um, Top notch, there's no fine print, no smoke and mirrors. We're just upfront and honest. Um, but again, everyone prefers something different, right? You might prefer a big corporate company, you might prefer a small mom and pop shop, you might want just a straight base, you might want a commission only, you might want a mix, you might want certain vacation days, you might want flexibility from where you work, all that stuff we just talked about. On the the staffing shortage and the employment employment and labor shortage, um, these are things as a business owner that you can do and be flexible on to attract the right, attract and retain the right talent. Um, all right. So the question I forgot to put in here, cabotage, is that how you say it?
1: Ah, uh, yeah.
0: The question was about how the cabotage law is. Basically, um, if you don't know what cabotage is, I, I didn't know it, that term was used in freight. I always heard it in, in the airline and um, the air freight world, where basically if, you know, the US, uh, and so let's say a foreign, we're gonna talk about US as domestic. So let's say a foreign airline carrier um, delivers cargo or passengers into the United States. They cannot then do a US to US flight um, as a foreign entity. They have to fly back to their country or somewhere else. That's kind of what cabotage yeah. is. And the same thing applies to freight. And I didn't know it was called that, but it, think about US to Canadian, right? A US driver can d- deliver in Canada and then haul back to the US. A Canadian driver gonna can haul to the US and then deliver somewhere else into the US and then somewhere else into the US, right? Because they're not a US-based yes. company. And there's competition so, reasons for that.
1: I'm gonna read through this, right? So. Cabotage is a legal principle, and it's not specific to the United States. Um, And it exists as a legal means to shield domestic carriers and their workforce from foreign competition. Now, this is the informal guidance from the CBP, which is the Customs and Border Protection. Um, These are permissible movements that the agency would consider as satisfying the incidental to international traffic requirement. Drivers may deliver a shipment from Canada to one or more U.S. locations. Drivers may pick up and return a shipment from one or more U.S. locations for delivery in Canada. Drivers may deliver a shipment from Canada to a U.S. location, deadhead with the same trailer to another U.S. location and load that trailer for delivery back in Canada. Drivers may deliver a shipment from Canada to a U.S. location, deadhead same. Um, You can drop a loaded trailer in Canada at one location in the U.S. and bobtail to another one, pick up a loaded trailer for delivery in Canada, and drivers may perform activities that are necessary incidents. So I guess if you needed to go to like the FDA or something. Now this is impermissible. Drivers may not pick up a shipment at one U.S. location and deliver that shipment to another U.S. Drivers may not reposition an empty trailer between two points in the U.S. when the driver did not enter with or depart with that trailer. Drivers may not top up an initial, an international shipment with a U.S. domestic shipment. Meaning, like, if you have a load, right, from going from the U.S. to Canada, you can't put, like, a partial load in there and deliver it again in the United States before going to Canada.
0: The whole reason for this, and I, the see, I always do it in the air in the air space. Um, think about... It's, it's for competition reasons, it's to protect the US and our, our workforce. Think about the airlines, right? Um, let's say there's a country that has cheap cost of living, cheap wages, etc. right? If they could just bring planes in the United States and fly a bunch of domestic US flights and get paid the US cost, right? And take that money all mm-hmm. back home, they would do it all day long and we'd be out of bit, you know, we, our, It would drive a lot of our US-based companies out of business, right? So they can deliver into our country and then they can pick up and take people back out. But they can't just post up and start, you know, doing flights in the US or in the trucking side of it. They can't just start hauling loads throughout the US for a week and then decide to go back home for the weekend. Doesn't work that way.
1: Yeah, and I think the real simple way is, I always just remembered it is you can start in one country and finish in the other, you cannot start and finish in the country you aren't from. So basically, it's that simple, right? Like, you can pick up a load in Canada and drop it at five different drops, deliveries in the US, and then pick up another load and go back to Canada. What you can't ever do is start and finish a load in the other country.
0: Correct, It's a good way to look at it. Good stuff, good discussion. Um, a lot of people have that question about, you know, US to Canada moves or US to Mexico and stuff like that. and there's your official explanation. I've always explained it to people, but I, I never knew that phrase cabotage was used, and I never read the verbiage that you had there, Ben, so that's good stuff. Well, another episode in the books here. Um, we got some good stuff coming up in the next few weeks here. Keep checking out the YouTube channel. There's uh, We got some new videos coming out this month on...
1: What do we got? We got... Uh, how to find shippers yeah. um, should be dropped next week. I think you did one on how to find jobs in freight brokerage. Yeah, Is how that to the channel this week?
0: Yeah. So if those of you looking uh, to get into freight brokerage, there's a bunch of different options you can go with. So take a look at that new video. We keep them short and sweet. Usually uh, five, six minutes. Although your success story one that came out, that guy that got to 900,000 in GP, that was a good convert. that's like almost 20 minutes long. It's a really good one to watch though. So. Yeah, well, good, good real crap. world.
1: Yeah. It's always Sweet, good man. to have
0: the real world uh, success stories there. So you know it's not just it all, a, it's all, not just theory, it's reality and practice. Exactly,
1: in practice. Yeah man, looking forward to recording our next episode in person later this yeah, week. Yeah,
0: absolutely, hopefully poolside. We'll see. Um, well, cool man. Oh, you know what? So I always ask you if you got your final thoughts and whatnot. We did have somebody give you uh, an alternative, like quote. Do you remember what it was? You got to pull yeah, that up. Uh, I think it was the same. It was the same guy that asked us on the, the cabotage law and, and how it applies. Um, but it, it was about we, we said success is when like luck meets preparation or, or something like that, and he came back with a like a, a really good one um if you can if you can find that one um, pull it off yeah give me that one. off that was a that was a good one so in the meantime while you're doing that I'm looking seriously looking forward to spring baseball the full season here'm gonna try to get to a couple games the the Red Sox play in Toronto I think three times this year so hopefully I can scoot up into Canada and see a couple games or who knows maybe I'll just have to go to Fenway we'll see but I'm definitely going to be watching the Masters this weekend you got the quote up there
1: I could nah, I couldn't find uh,
0: it okay we'll, we'll read it next week well um, final thoughts Ben
1: yeah if you haven't in the show notes um, the foundation we started to help at Ukraine is there if you can give even a dollar five dollars is all greatly appreciated going to a great cause and whether you believe you can or believe you can't you're right And until next time, oh Bill, That wraps up this
0: episode of Freight 360. Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at freight360.net to see our entire
1: library of episodes, videos, blogs, and more. And make sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. If you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the contact us form on our site and we'll see you next week.